0: Welcome to the Assurance in Action podcast, the podcast of your total quality assurance provider, Intertech. In this episode of Assurance in Action, our topic will be registration, evaluation, authorization, and restriction of chemicals, or REACH for short. Uh, Today's returning guest is Bob Trimble, uh, Program Manager for Global Restricted Substances. Uh, Hi, Bob. How are you doing today? Good morning, Seth. How are you
1: doing? Or I guess the afternoon where
0: you're at. Very good. Good. um yeah it's afternoon here so uh, Bob as a recap uh, could you briefly give your background in restricted substances and your experience with Intertech? Sure so
1: I've been with intertech uh, about 10 years now and with that I uh, worked with and for intertech in the consulting uh, field for a couple of years, specifically dealing and specializing in ROHS Ross. REACH, California Prop 65, China Ross, uh, basically anything that controls and restricts substances in articles, in complex articles and materials. And um, how do we control the supply chain? How do we evaluate the supply chain? How do we, how do we test and evaluate materials? And I spend most of my time uh, working with customers in person and getting into their processes for dealing with that.
0: Great, so uh, published in 2006 and enforced in 2007, uh, REACH is a regulation enforced by the European Union. In brief, what does REACH cover?
1: So REACH covers chemicals, which are used in almost all substances, uh, materials, components that make up consumer products, business-to-business products, professionally used products. And uh, one of the keys being it doesn't, you know, a lot of times we think that something has to be electronic to be in scope. Uh, almost everything is in scope for the REACH regulation. So like you said, they kind of restated it. It covers the registration, evaluation, authorization of chemicals, REACH. It's administered by the European Chemical Agency, ECHA, and enforced at the member state level. So that, that's kind of the overview of, of what it covers. And we hear the word chemical and a lot of times we, we quite frankly kind of remove ourselves from the equation. So I make a product. I make a, um, a piece of plastic or I make an over mold or I, I bend metal or I plate metal or I make a screw or I, I make a electronic device and I, and I think chemical and my mind doesn't quite get to, oh yeah, I, I am in scope for the reach regulation. So that that's kind of the overview of um,
0: of of reach. Great. So who is affected by reach, and how are they affected? So almost everybody's affected by reach. If you make a product
1: and it's sold into the European Union, um, specifically if you make a chemical and it's sold into the uh, European Union or used in a Substance. So a little later in the podcast, I think we'll kind of dive into the details of this. Well, what's an article? Um, what's a substance? What's a mixture? How do I, how do I, you know, what's a chemical? When do I have to do that? And, and quite frankly, but the major chem- chemical manufacturers, um, just like some other directives and regulations, Tosca stuff, they're very familiar with this. And that's not where we see the problems and that's not where we see the the great need for advice or from uh, kind of kind of diving deep into the regulation. It's the people that make articles who uh, get confused and get kind of hung up with this regulation. So um, once again, anybody that makes almost any product, even if you don't know where it's going, at some point you may be required to confirm that what your product is made out of, doesn't contain specific substances of very high concern. And those substances of very high concern is, is what we associate with reach. And that's what's on the SVHC list, and that's where we kind of jump off. Yeah, not only is it on the list, but when we get into the authorization, when, when we get into restrictions, where, where else could it be restricted? Just because it's on the list, it's great. Maybe I need to know if it's restricted. Maybe I need to know if I need to have authorization to use it. So that's where we get a little bit deeper into that for article manufacturers as well as substance and and mixture providers. So, uh, yeah, sum that up, almost everybody that produces an article is in scope for reach depending on where they're shipping their product globally.
0: Great. And how have companies and organizations uh, adjusted to Reach?
1: So Reach has been around for over ten years now. And initially, I'm going to say, you know, ten years ago, um, companies approached it by doing testing. At least with Intertech, they would come to us and, hey, we need this product tested. We need we need to know what's in it, or we need to know what's in part of it, to see if we need to uh, communicate. That we have SBHCs or see if we need to get our suppliers and um, revise substances, mixtures, plastics, uh, plated metals, things like that, do revisions so that we comply with the regulation. And um, they, they would basically test compliance into their products. They at the time were not reaching out to the supply chain, um, evaluating their supply chain on the ability to provide documentation that confirmed compliance and keep up with that documentation because they, they add things to the SVHC list every six months. So it's always an ongoing process. It's not a one and done. And if you're gonna if you're gonna test for compliance, are we gonna test every six months when they add substances? What are we gonna do with that? So the big change we've seen in, in the past couple of years is our customers managing their supply chain and saying, we need to evaluate our suppliers. We need to have a supply chain that can give us the documentation we need when we go to sell a product globally. So the uh, the, the thing that's hard for suppliers um, is to evaluate each of their own supply chains, right? It's, it's one thing to evaluate a material, to look up material properties, or to write on a, a drawing, um, a specific grade, of uh, plastic or alloy, um, it, it's another thing to evaluate that supplier and, and the risk that that supplier is always going to give you what you order and what you want and be able to provide that documentation. So that that's the big change in the, in the past couple of years. We're really everybody's pressing down on the supply chain to minimize their work and the, the, any expense that they would incur testing because we're up to 201 SVHCs. That's that's a lot of different substances to test for. Um, and that's
0: not cheap. Yeah, and uh, those are 201 over the past 10 years uh, added over six months. So you're talking a handful every six months.
1: Every every six months, it might be eight, it might be six. This last time it was, it was uh, four uh, about a month ago.
0: Now, with that frequency of chemicals being added to this list, how do companies continuously reassess and retest and recomply with regulation. Sorry.
1: Right, so so at the uh, article level or functional article level, I know earlier I said we get to the details of that and we will shortly, but to talk more about how companies um, manage that process-based scheme, they have requirements that their vendors to remain on their approved vendor list, their approved supplier list, keep them updated, um, their ability to comply with the current regulation. So every six months they would either reach out or expect a updated document that this, that whatever they're purchasing from that supplier complies with the regulation or if there is something in it, an SVHC, or if they are um, authorized for a certain use or restricted at a level below the standard 0.1% by weight that they are notified of that. So we we see that take all different forms. Some companies you know just an email blast. Other companies have portals that get updated. Uh, Some companies have declarations uh, that they send out to to get updated and signed. Other people use third party um, compliance schemes where, where portals get populated and they run a campaign every six months to keep everything updated. So that's a little bit all over the map and depending on the size of the company and, and what you manufacture, because everybody's processes are a little different, everybody's products are substantially different. So it depend, depending on how you do business and your supply chain, um, that, that looks a little bit different for most people.
0: Do you have any examples of perhaps um a company needing to make drastic changes because of a new substance that was added or what is the warning for that? Like, do you know two years in advance of what chemical is being banned or restricted um, in two years? Yeah, we we,
1: we tend to keep,
0: so if, if if I'm in
1: regulatory affairs or if I'm the responsible authority at my company for staying on top of compliance, And I know I sell globally specifically into the European Union or a region similar to the European Union when when it comes to chemical requirements. I kind of keep my finger on the pulse of what chemicals are being proposed to be on the list. So I kind of have, I'm going to say close to a a two-year lead time to say, all right, I got to start keeping an eye on this and seeing if it's in my product. Right, so I'm not, I'm not waiting till one day before this deadline and then going, okay, my products need to comply. I'm gonna, I'm gonna run this email campaign and expect everybody to give me confirmation in 24 hours. Cause most people respond to email in 24, 48 hours, right? So yeah, that, that's where we run into trouble. That, that sort of doesn't work. We need to stay ahead of it. And that's where we get into. Taking a look at our, knowing knowing what goes into our product, taking a look at our bill of materials and our suppliers and saying, okay, what suppliers do I have a a risk for? Not just materials, but what suppliers am I going to have trouble getting this documentation from? And, you know, maybe I haven't audited them, audited them, maybe I have a new product and I'm not really familiar with some of my new suppliers. I I have great relationships with a couple hundred suppliers that I've been doing business with for 15 years. Um... So, so what questions do I ask these suppliers to say, okay, they're a low risk. I really trust this guy. They're on top of it. I know if they're, if I'm going to buy a part from them, I'm going to get the documentation and I can believe it. Or I'm going to get a test report and they're going to tell me, hey, here's my test report. Because one of the things we frequently see, Seth, yep. um, is we, we see a test report. So like, where's the confirmation? We, we look at people's documentation and we say, okay, well, why do we, accept this test report. Because when I take a close look at the test report, a lot of times we see that they actually do have substances of very high concern in their products, and they're above the limit. So they, you know, we can't just accept the test report and go, okay, I got a test report, I'm good to go. I have to look at that test report, understand the reporting limits, uh, minimum detection levels, were the proper methods used to do the testing on Metal parts, non metal parts, different things like that. You can get into a little, uh, little bit of different testing chemistry if I'm going to accept the test report, things like that. So um, I, I'm going to say staying ahead of it, right? Have, having maybe a, a consulting service or working with a company that keeps you apprised through a monthly report uh, or an email, an environmental report, um, a, a company that can kind of help you with that. If you're a regulatory person and you don't have Uh, a staff of people that's dedicated to doing just that so our chemical companies are going to have that but some of our small to mid-sized manufacturers they're not going to have that they might have one or two people who are in charge of you know compliance and they're never going to have time to get through all that so that that, that's kind of where people get into trouble and they they kind of sell product with kind of that well like i think we're compliant but when it comes down to it like if we're really holding the carpet and you have to prove to me with your processes and with your technical documentation that you're complying um, they'd they really have trouble doing it. they just don't have the package altogether
0: it, it seems like it comes with the territory of the leaner you run the you know more work that less people are going to do therefore you can't stay necessarily ahead so having that help and having that you know direct line um, Infinitely help, help. Agree. Preparation. Right. Like, it's like
1: it's like it's like doing work on your car, right? right? Like there's some guys that still work on their cars, especially their older cars, and there's a lot of people that still change the oil or fix the headlight, but when it comes to the engine diagnostics and all that stuff, just the tools, the expertise to do it efficiently, you're going to end up going to an expert, and it's, it's it's similar with all the regulations and directives that are going on today as well.
0: So. Uh, With the 201 chemicals, as you said before, on the SVHC, how does a chemical wind up on that list?
1: Chemicals get on the list because of their uh, effects on uh, people, humans, and the environment. And they get get on the list uh, when they become classified as a carcinogenic, a mutagenic, a reproductive toxin. uh, They're persistent, they're bioaccumulative, or they're toxic. So those, those are the requirements kind of upfront to actually um, have a substance placed on the list, right? Um, and, and then where we, we run into a little more trouble down the line, and where we see a lot of uh, a lot of issues is when we evaluate for those SVHCs, it needs to be done at the article level, the simple article level, the component level. So I, um, in the past, I may have taken my whole hundred pound device, my, my end product and had it tested or made an engineering determination that even if I had a little bit of this chemical, this substance, um, in an adhesive, right? In a, in a rubber, um, compound or somewhere in the product that, uh, that by weight, I wasn't even close to having an issue. That that needs to be rethought out. Um, Companies need to evaluate their their product at the at the simple functional article level. Consider the mass of the SVHC in the material, not the end product.
0: Okay, and uh, is the SVHC exhaustive of all of the chemicals that are restricted and fall under reach?
1: So the, uh, the SVHC list is, is part of the puzzle. What also needs to happen is um, to, to look at Annex 14 and Annex 17 for any of the restrictions or uh, authorization information needs to be supplied as well. So it's, it's, although we, we always harp on, we always hear about the SVHC list, um, there's a, a more to reach than that, and we should also take a good look at Annex 14 and Annex 17 to make sure I don't have any issues with how something's being used um, or or when a sunset date for a substance model exists.
0: Great. So um, thanks for joining me on Assurance in Action today, Bob. Um, it was great having you again.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. It's always it's always great to talk to you.
0: Fantastic. So uh, thank you for listening to Assurance in Action. If you would like to learn more about Reach, uh, please follow any of the uh, links in the description of this podcast. Um, if you haven't already, please follow Intertech uh, on LinkedIn and subscribe and rate Assurance in Action wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again.